I want to share a story. There were two Australian soldiers who were in Britain. And these soldiers walked into a bar and drank themselves rather silly. They walked out of that bar and were a bit wobbly on their feet. They walked out into a dense English fog. Can you imagine it? Can't really see. Don't know what's going on. And as they were trying to find some directions, they saw a man. Unbeknownst to them, he was a highly decorated English naval officer with medals just all over his chest. These two Aussie sailors, clearly drunk and unable to string many words together, walked up to him and said, Say, a bloke, can you tell us where we are? Well, the naval officer, rather offended, said, Do you know men know who I am? At which point one Aussie said to another, Well, we're really in a mess now. We don't know where we are and he doesn't know who he is. (laughs) Do Do you ever get the sense that families and homes in our nation are in this state? At times we don't know where we are. It's so foggy we can't even see what we're aiming for. We don't even know where we're going. We search and search to find an answer only to come up short time and time again or maybe we've just given up the search maybe it's just easier to live and try to maintain the life that we think we want rather than the life Jesus has called us to Paul wrote a letter to his young protege Timothy who was the pastor of a small church on the state of this downward spiraling culture he said this and I'd love you to open up with me to Timothy chapter 3 and we're reading from verse 1 2 Timothy chapter 3 and reading from verse 1. It's entitled uh, Godlessness in the Last Days. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Just let that sink in. Perhaps let that then flow out into the way that Uh, We see what's going on around us, but not just what's going on around us. I want to invite you now to think about what's going on in your own home. Whether you're a child here, uh, a teenager, young adult, adult, grandparent, whatever stage of life you are at, you all live in a house. Whatever stage of life you are at, you all live in a home, whether that home is functioning well at present or not so well at present, it's a home nonetheless. doesn't take too much observation to see, at the least, shadows of all these characteristics in our nation today and, as I've said, even more sadly in our homes. Less and less time is being spent in the home, building a home, and more and more time is spent outside the home, building a career or skills for the future. And I believe that would apply um, across the board, husbands, wives, children. Uh, there tends to be this trend 
away from the home, outside of the home. Very, very busy, very, very active, and not much rest. Well, God's word to us today is a ripe and clear warning to pull in the very opposite direction. I think it will be difficult to pull in that direction, but nonetheless a very worthwhile pull in that direction. A fundamental starting place for this is in the home, but not just any home, the Christian home. Now by home I mean the place where a family lives and breathes and has their being. The secure place where a husband and wife can flourish, where children can grow and develop into young men and women. The place where God's presence dwells richly and disciples of Jesus are formed. What our nation doesn't need and what God's church doesn't need is more of the same. We need something radically different. And I think, I I may be wrong, but I think that this will be one of the marks of God's church is the marks of a Christian home that will be distinct and different from uh, homes without Jesus, homes without God. I want to be clear on what I mean by a distinct Christian home. Uh, and that's going to unfold as I continue. Today I'm preaching about growing family likeness in a distinct, distinctly Christian home. Growing family likeness in a distinctly Christian home. Firstly, it begins by breaking the silence within homes about life in the home. Breaking the silence within homes about life in the home. In 2 Timothy 3.5, you see the effects of a hidden life that lives one way, but then presents in another circumstance in a complete other way. It's this life that exists at home, and then this life that exists perhaps at church. Maybe you come to church today, um, and things don't look sort of the same. There seems to be this disparity with what goes on. And uh, that's a challenge. It's a challenge for me, just as much as it is for you. Um, I want to be clear today, I have grappled with this all week. I am passionate and I am very, very keen to build uh, into families and into Christian homes, but I'm very keenly aware of my own desperate need uh, to make sense of this in my own life. Uh, So as I preach and as I share with you today, um, just know I've been grappling with all the things that I've been preaching about today um, throughout this week. It begins by breaking the silence within home. Uh, Silence like this in the home and about the home kills true faith and honest discipleship. If you feel trapped and you feel caught living a particular life at home where um, there's, there's just dodgy stuff going on all over the place and there's no resolve, there's no ability to escape it, there's no ability to actually be honest about it, it's going to kill your faith. If you have any faith at all, it will kill it if you choose to hide it, if you choose to stay silent about it. Let me demonstrate. Can you open with me to Psalm 32? Psalm 32. It says this, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. 
When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Your is God's. God's hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not, did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Your happiness at a very, very core level, your gladness, your delight in living as a human being centers around this. Your gladness that there's a God who doesn't want you to stay silent. That there's a God who invites you to come out and to share and be completely open about your life so that not he can judge you and condemn you, but instead to forgive you and to lather upon you mercy upon mercy upon mercy. But as long as you stay silent, you can see how David so poetically puts it. Bones feel like they waste. You ever feel like that? There's just meaninglessness to what you do day in and day out. Your bones feel like they're just sort of wasting away. There's this purposelessness to what you're doing. Are you groaning? Do you get the, the groan of this deep pain and difficulty about what's going on inside? A groaning all day long, day and night. He senses the heavy hand of God which sapped his strength like the heat of summer. Does your life and home feel like this? I'm not talking about what your life and home wants to look like. I'm talking about what it looks like, the reality. I'm, not, I'm sure it doesn't look like this all the time because <laughs> that's not reality either. But there is times when perhaps for an elongated period of time, this is what it feels like. The invitation is open today. Come, break the silence with God and with others. Why waste away in your groaning to one another about how tough life is at home and outside the home? Why waste away? Why live under the heavy hand of God when his heavy hand on you is so that you would confess your sin rather than hide them? God promises gladness. The greatest happiness, blessedness. Your life will be blessed if you don't stay silent. Gladness awaits those whose sins are forgiven, who are at peace with God. But as Peter so aptly justified, the silence must also be broken with one another also. Life as a follower of Jesus was always meant to be lived among other believers. It would be so easy for me to stand up here today and paint a glorious picture of my home or a Christian home when the reality is that all homes are full of sinners. They're all full of people who mess it up. Children mess it up. Mums mess it up. Dads mess it up. We mess it up. But as long as you stay silent about that, your faith will not grow. And the faith of your family will not grow. As long as that remains unresolved in your family, it will not grow. And that will be a devastating thing for your home. It will be a devastating thing uh, for our church if we as families do not grow. A distinctly Christian home means that silence is broken with God, first and foremost, but then silence is also broken with one another. I want to demonstrate what I mean. There seems to be, I think, an immense pressure upon dads and mums 
to present themselves in a particular way within their community, whether it be a social media community in pictures or comments, or in reality, person to person, all the while hiding a mess that lies at home. People seem so surprised when others share their honest mistakes within the home because there's this bubble around homes that forces us to make them look or seem perfect. This is not the reality of a home. It's not the reality of any home. No home in all of history since sin entered the world has had this perfect, beautiful, shimmy, nice exterior when the interior is actually a whole lot of mess. And that's, uh, there's a safety in that. For you to know that your home is similar to other homes in that every home battles at times. In every home there's battles, there's wars going on between husband and wife, between parents and children, between children and children. This is reality amongst every home. And it's, in a sense, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay that you have difficulty in your home. I have difficulty in my home. But the hope today is that there's resolution for the difficulty. The hope today is that your home does not have to remain that way. You don't have to live the rest of your life at war with one another. You don't have to live the rest of your life uh, in craziness, trying to pull things together on your own. That is not what God intended for you, and it's certainly not what God intended for a home. It never has, nor will it ever bear any good fruit that will last. If our desire is to pull in a Godward direction within our homes and in raising children in the love of God, then our only hope is not a perfect facade. It's so easy and so tempting to post lots of things, to have this pretty facade. It's a really nice facade that gets put on when the reality of homes is, it's just not like that. And my encouragement for you as you consider this is, uh, is to consider how can I actually live most clearly in reality and not in the presented reality that I want to show the people around me. Um, there's a sacredness about the home that was never meant to be shared. <laughs> there's something about home that is meant to be this beautiful, marvellous existence, meant to be this hub that was never meant to be flirted out to the world. It was meant to be this place of of delight and of connection and we'll get further into that those who can admit and confess their failings and weaknesses to god are those who are able to build and those who are able to grow those who are able to confess their weaknesses to others are those who will actually see change are those who will actually see the the health and the vitality of your home grow and change But as long as you stay silent, the health and vitality of your home will likely, I'm not saying it will never happen, but it will likely remain the same. Now, I'm only saying what Pete's been encouraging you uh, for the last few weeks about how change happens and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it doesn't happen on your own in silence. We should expect that within every home of every person here, there's been a mixture of love and peace a relational mess, unkind words and deeds, disobedient children, neglect of time spent together, neglecting relationship with God. But I suspect that too often these fundamental problems in the home go unchecked and unresolved with pride and busyness and longings outside the home. 
And here's where I want to shift it now. We don't need to stay in the mess, right? There's hope. Whenever there's God, there is hope. That's an absolute sure thing. So let's move there. Hasn't the rain been a sweet blessing for our city and region this week? Who, uh, who went out to their rain gauge and actually checked the rain gauge? You're like, hmm, how much rain have we had? Anybody? Yeah. Who went to their app on their phone and checked, oh, how much rain can I expect today? Uh, you, you've gauged, you've, you've had these gauges of where the rainfall has been at, uh, at your place. Well, today... Uh, I want to look at two gauge markers in the form of questions that I think will help to begin shaping a distinctly Christian home. Uh, So the first question is, will I meet them in eternity? And second, am I a willing participant with God? So I'll explore each question and then after that we'll look closely at the practical ways to begin doing them in the home. First question, will I meet them in eternity? Will I meet them in eternity? This may sound morbid, but uh, at times I've found myself reflecting during my drive to work that if my time on earth were done right now at this moment, if God chose to finish my life right there, my time on earth was done and he took me home to be with him, uh, would would I have left echoes of eternal life in my home? Did the way I live help point my family toward eternity or did it just give them a greater love for the world? Because the world and the things in this world are just not going to last. We have to live here. That's unnecessary. But this isn't where we belong. And it's not where my children belong. It's not where other family members belong. They belong in heaven with eternal life. Now, I'm fully aware that I cannot save my children, nor can you or anyone else. I can't save a family member. I can't save any of you. That's not my job. That's God's job. But I do know that I've been strategically placed within my family to set their hearts, minds, and affections toward God and not away from Him. If I have the best of news, I can't just say, oh, God's sovereign, He'll get the job done. If I have the best of news... If I have this gift of eternal life, isn't that something that I would want to share time and time again with my children? Isn't that something that I would want to just keep giving away so that others, however God wants to work, might be saved and also join me there one day? Wouldn't that be a marvellous thing? So the question, will I meet them in eternity? Well, go back with me to the earlier scripture in 2 Timothy 3. I'm sorry, I should have asked you to keep your finger there or uh, put a bookmark on your phone or something. Um, 2 Timothy 3. And you find a clear picture of life obsessed with living apart from God. I'll read the list again. It's a grinding list. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. What's the end of this life? What's the end of this life? Well, it's eternity, but it's an eternity separated from God. That's devastating. That is a, it's a tough list to read through. I, I struggle to read through that list going, oh, not only can I see that out there, but I can see that in here 
There's part of me where I can see that. There's part of my home where I see that. And if all I do is pursue that life, if all you do is pursue that life, the end of that life may well be separation from God. And that would be an absolute disaster. To have a home, though, set on fire with eternal life means that the opposite of these would be true. So I want to take a look at this, and, uh, and I'm, I, f- I think I'm doing justice to this scripture. Um, so I'm not twisting its meaning. I think I'm, I'm, um, I'm carrying it over to the opposite so that you can see the comparison. So I'm calling it the controverse, and I want to track them in opposite order as well. So make sure you've got it open in front of you. I've also got it up on the screen. Um, if this is going to work... Dave, can you help me out if it's not? Hey, there we go. So you've got 2 Timothy on the left. That's the actual scripture. But I've just flipped it around in reverse order because it's a list and all I've done is, is flip it around. So on the left side of the list, you've got the scripture as it is and that list of um, vices that go on. And then I've got the right side, which is um, the opposite of those vices. So let's take a look. From verse 5, a person giving in to godliness and accepting all its power. Think about that with me. Imagine a person giving in to wanting godliness. It's just like, man, that's so easy to give in to. It's not. There's difficulty to that. But it's so easy to give in to because that's a far better life than living the opposite, right? You can see the fruit of of the life that's lived opposite. What about this? A lover of God rather than a lover of pleasure. A person filled with humility. A person careful. A person who's faithful. A person loving good. A person who's meek, self-controlled, full of praise, merciful. Can you go to the next one, Dave? Compassionate, holy, grateful, obedient to parents, kind, humble, humble, (laughs) comes up a couple of times, (laughs) lover of generosity and lover of neighbor. Do you notice the two bookends? What are the two bookends? First was lover of God. Last was lover of neighbor. Sweet, right? The way that, that Paul's put together this little list uh, shows these two bookends, these two loves that are the core and the distinct characteristics of a Christian home. In the, in the scripture itself, it says it's a love of self and a love of pleasure with a spread of vices in between, which all flow out of those loves. But then in the anti or, or the contra scripture, there are still those two loves, but with a whole spread of virtues between. Now, it, personally, I really like aiming for virtues, right? And you could look at all the virtues in between and go, wow, that'd be really great. And if every home pursued those virtues, we would have a a different church. We would have a different nation. Uh, But those virtues are not enough. We could pursue all of those virtues and still end in separation from God, which would be a disaster. But if we truly get to the core of those first and last the end may be a whole, whole lot different. The beginning and end of these anti-verses, love for God and love for neighbor, uh, mean that 
all of those virtues then take their rightful place. We don't pursue virtues only. We're not just aiming for a good house. We're aiming for a house that is set on eternity. We're aiming for a family and a home that is set on eternity. So how do you train that? How do you teach that? Well, teach them to love God. But don't just teach it, do it. We get to be participants in this. We don't just want this for our children, we want this for ourselves and we don't ever reach the end until the end comes. Right? No human being reaches the end of their love for God and go, I've made it, all right, now I just get to share it with everyone else. No, this is a continual journey, which is why I opened with whether you're a child here, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, uh, whatever stage of life you're in, this continues throughout the rest of your life. And it's the gladdest journey you could ever go on. It's the happiest journey you could ever go on. This takes me to my second gauge marker. So the first gauge marker was, will I meet them in eternity? How can I be sharing eternity and eternal life and making that the echoes of my home? Second is being a willing participant in relationship with God. A truly flourishing home where Jesus is active and alive is one where parents are active participants with God. Peter elaborated well on this in the last two sermons and I would really strongly recommend listening to those about how it is that you grow as a disciple. But let me reiterate just a few. Participating with God in relationship means that one would want to listen for what God is saying to them. If you read scripture like 2 Peter and keep it at a distance without honestly reflecting on your own life and home and allowing the Spirit just to show you, is there echoes of this in my own home? You know, the list of vices, the list of loving self, all those things, if you're unwilling to even participate in reflecting on that, then it's likely that you're unwilling to change and grow. Uh, we can't avoid the hard bits of Scripture and, not the, uh, and just like the good bits of Scripture where God can speak to us. No, God speaks to us all the time and it's, it's part of our, our, our makeup as a disciple to respond to Him, to go, oh, wow. I'm challenged by that. That's, that's really tough. But I know you're a merciful God. And I know that you'll come through if I confess this ch- painful part of me. This part that I just can't get victory over. If, however, you read scripture like that and recognize your wandering heart, and even your family's wandering hearts, then your only hope is to turn to God for his forgiveness and change. It's a person who asks God to speak to them about their current situation and wants to wait for a reply. Um, uh, Being a participant with God means that every part of your life, uh, your work situation, your school situation, your um, uh, future career situation, your whatever situation means that you bring it before God and wait upon Him. God, what do you want to say in this? I just want to participate with you. I'm done doing it on my own. That's a painful trot, working on your own, working out life on your own, doing it on your own. It's lonely, it's difficult, but there's a God who wants to be in on it. There's a God who wants to participate with you in life. And he invites you, come and participate. Seeking out opportunities to grow in your affections towards God to gain victory over sin and to continue becoming holy as God your Father intended. We heard God promise the deepest happiness for those who would turn from sin and turn to Him 
in the earlier psalm. That's how to truly live and flourish. No other alternative will do. I want to illustrate this point uh, of living as a participant with God in your home, but I need your imagination. Can I get your imagination for a minute? Um, I want you to imagine that you lived 5,000 years ago. Now, if you hated history, you'd really go, man, do I have to do this right now? Uh, But imagine the history of living as a child in the people of Israel, right? Uh, you, uh, You would have seen some wild things. If you were to read the Old Testament as a child, as a child observing what's going on in their nation at that time, it would be a wild ride. Uh, you could write a pretty incredible book. Uh, but uh, if you're a Hebrew child growing up with God's people, you might have seen some pretty crazy things like God victoriously rescuing your whole nation out of Egypt through a bunch of plagues. Imagine being a kid and seeing that. Imagine being a kid and getting woken up early to head out with the other million or more people out of Egypt into the desert. Imagine being a kid, watching your parents do that. Imagine being a kid, uh, watching your parents follow a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as they walk through that desert. Imagine being a kid, uh, watching your parents uh, wake each day to find the manna that God had provided overnight. You know, the, the bread and the quail and you couldn't keep any. You had to trust God that he was going to provide for the next day as well. Imagine being a kid watching your parents complain. (laughs) They complain, I just want to go back to Egypt. I want to be a slave again. I'd rather the veggies and the meat back there than this manna and quail. Imagine being a kid uh, watching your mum anxiously throwing her best jewellery in so that Aaron could build a calf and watching your parents worship around the calf. Uh, you might have seen your parents bring the best of their crop or their herd and bring it as a sacrifice to worship the Lord. Maybe you saw animals being slaughtered and their blood a symbol of the forgiveness of sin and peace with God. Maybe you saw mum and dad tearing their clothes and putting ashes on their head as a symbol of their or their nation's godlessness and their desperate desire to turn back to God, their desperate desire to have the favour of God in their nation. You saw the full breadth of mum and dad living as participants in the relationship with God. Can you see the comparison now to the way a child would have seen their parents live then and the way your, parent, your children see you live in your home today? You see the full breadth. Do they see you pursuing God hotly? Do they see you hungering after God? Do they see you desperate to hear from God and and what God wants to do right now in this situation. They see you complaining against God when it's really tough because that's honest. Do they see you in your desperation turning to God? Do they see you in your gladness rejoicing in God? You see this full breadth. The reality of every home and the reality of a Christian home is that it's not going to have a perfect facade. It's going to be real. It's going to be honest. You're going to go through seasons. Every home goes through seasons. Every home goes through troughs and peaks. And they're all meant to be lived out with God as a participant 
with your God. So, there's two questions that I hope will begin to help you gauge what does this distinctly Christian home look like? What does it look like now and where might it head in the future so that uh, that might be lived out? But in light of those two gauge markers, the last thing that uh, Pete asked me to do was to offer some practical ways for family likeness to grow. So what, is, what, what do those two things actually look like in the practical day-to-day? Um, it's very difficult to be exhaustive here, so I've, um, I've just brought it down to four or five that, that um, I think would be pertinent in our homes today. Uh, you can keep developing it, though. If you hear, like, um, how can I lead my family in thinking about eternity and eternal things, weighty good things, um, and you come up with other practical ways, share it on Facebook, maybe, like on the, um, on the project's Facebook, or share it with another dad or a mum. Uh, so that we can start building this marvellous culture of distinctly Christian homes. But here's a few. Number one, <clears throat> can, we, can we go to the next one, Dave? Beauty. Number one, in our home, we set up markers for maturity. Physical markers have been significant throughout all of history. They mark significant events and occasions in a town, a city, or even a civilization. Um, I remember Di Thorley set up those obelisks in town. Has everyone seen those weird-looking obelisks in the middle of town? That was like the mark of her, um, of her mayorship. Um, she, was, she was a good mayor in many ways, but these huge, big obelisks um, in the middle of town, and that was the marker of Di Thorley, uh, one of the markers in our town. We had an African dance troupe come to our school a few weeks back and one of our students asked an insightful question. He said, how is your childhood different to ours? Uh, And they came out with all sorts of different responses. But one boy shared that when he was 13, he had this rite of passage leaving childhood behind and entering manhood. From his child ways to uh, adult ways, he would go out and hunt on his own and then return and there'd be a specific tribal dance for this rite of passage, to build into the culture that you don't stay a child forever. You go from being child to being a man, uh, and, and there's this clear marking point. The whole tribe joins in, um, they dance, they'd feast, he'd go out and he'd hunt, and, uh, and it would be this distinctive moment of where he turned from a child into a young man. It's not uncommon throughout the world, but I wonder what it looks like in the Australian home. Um, wonder what it looks like, not just in the Australian home, but in a distinctly Christian home. I wonder if you thought about any markers for maturity. Um, I, as a teacher, I just observe and I just listen to conversations with, with children, and uh, one of the clear markers for maturity that I observe is the change from ABC2 to ABC3. It's like, I've reached the next stage. I can now watch ABC3, which is for nine-year-olds and up. Um, or maybe it's the movement from um, G-rated movies to PG, or even M-rated movies. Uh, a ten-year-old love flaunting that one. It's like, I get to watch M movies now. <laughs> uh, and you see there's these really clear markers for maturity that are sort of ingrained naturally that perhaps aren't that thought through, but I want to, th- I want to suggest to you thinking deeper. We, we can do so much better than just ABC2 to ABC3. We could do so much better than just PG to M. We could think, I, I bet if, if we got our creative minds together, 
and ask God to lead us. We could think of some marvelous markers for maturity throughout a family's life. We as a church have markers of maturity. They've been set in place uh, for a long time. We have baptisms. Baptisms are these significant markers where you go, at this stage, I left my old life and now I've entered my new life with Jesus Christ. There's some baptisms coming up on uh, Easter Sunday. So if you feel like you want to get baptized, let it be a significant marker in your life. But then in the home, I wonder what it looks like. Um, I'll share our own little personal testimony. I desperately wanted when my daughter got baptized to have some sort of marker for her to remember this moment. Not just a poster on the wall or a trinket that she might have been given, although they would be fine. Um, but, but something else that would signify what it might look like as a, as a child to grow. And, and uh, I got the idea of a lemon tree. It's fruit. It's a fruit tree. Um, it starts small. It grows big. It needs um, maintaining. It needs um, food. It needs um, caring for. And so we planted this, this fruit tree out the back and uh, it became Phoebe's fruit tree. Um, and that was the significant marker for her to go, this is the point at which uh, Jesus got a hold of my life and my life is different now. Now, we may not start that house. Uh, God may lead us elsewhere. But that fruit tree, whenever Phoebe revisits that house or as long as Phoebe is at that house, will be a marker and a memento of what God did in her life at that moment. And it will grow and it will go through hard seasons of drought. And it will go through um, challenges and difficulties. And it's a beautiful symbol of what life is like. This is the reality of life. You need people to help you. The, her brothers and sisters go out while she was out there watering it for her yesterday. We'd had like 32 mils of, 46 mils of rain. While she gets the watering can and goes out and waters the thing. Uh, there's this sense in which her faith, like that tree, needs everyone to join in and help it to grow. Markers of maturity. I had a uh, 13-year-old boy in, um, in, that I taught two years ago. So he was 10 when I taught him. His mother approached me and he came and gave me a card um, to invite me to this um, bar mitzvah of sorts. So um, it was based on the Jewish tradition that when a boy turns 13, he becomes a bar mitzvah and uh, that's his entrance into adulthood and manhood. And so... Um, they didn't do exactly that, but they wanted it to be a significant marker of his movement away from his childhood and into his adulthood. Uh, and so she just asked me to um, write some words of encouragement um, from the boy that I knew and the boy that I hoped would grow up into a man one day. And so I got to write um, a sweet little encouragement for him um, for things to remember as he goes and becomes a man. It, was, it, really, um, it really impacted me. I've never seen it. I've never really seen that sort of mark of maturity to go, if my 10-year-old was looking ahead and they saw their brother or their sister go through some other rite of passage like that, that's something to look forward to. It's significant. There's a feast. There's people come over. There's significant men and women in their life who go and speak into their life. That's something to look forward to. And growing up into a man or into a woman, that's something to look forward to. It's not just something where you get lost and sort of find your own way. No, there's a good direction. And we want to help you in that direction. Markers for maturity. Second one, in our home, technology is just a tool in the kit. 
uh, it, it'd be weird if every time a builder bought a new drill, I'm not just talking any drill, like this drill unlocks with his fingerprint, right? This is a fancy drill. It even drills sideways, right? This drill is an awesome drill. It would be weird if this guy took his drill and uh, took it everywhere with him. Walked in the shops, he's got it in his pocket. Came into church, he's like, ing, ing, like this. Uh, it, it, it would be weird, right? He's got it at the dinner table. Check it out, children. <laughs> like this. What is it? It's a tool. It's a piece of technology that is a tool. And it would be weird if he took that tool wherever he went. What if a chef bought a new mix master? And that chef took that mix master with him every, or her, wherever they went. All right, they got it under their arm and they're carrying it around. It's like a symbol. Look at, look at what I got here. This is amazing. This thing cooks my meals for me. I don't even have to do anything. I just have to tell it what to do and it just does everything. Gets the ingredients. Yeah, I don't know. It's a far off. There's a point to it though. What if they slept with it next to their bed or even in their bed? <laughs> It'd just be so weird to take a tool wherever you go. Now, so it is with technology in our lives. Technology is only technology. It was never meant to be something that's intimate with you. In fact, you can't have intimacy with technology. No piece of technology. I'm not just talking about drills or kitchen aids or, dare I say it, phones. It's just a tool. In our home, technology is just a tool and a kit. And the same way that technology is just a tool and a kit uh, is what you do with that tool throughout the day. Can everyone take out their phones with me? Just, uh, if you've got your phone, can you take it out with me? I did have mine, but uh, I left it up the back for this little demonstration. Uh, but if you've got your phone, can you hold it up? And if you dare to say this with me, <laughs> you don't have to, I can't, I can't make you do this. But if you hold this up and say, uh, this is just another tool in the shed. That's all it is. It's just another tool. Your computer at home, it's just another tool in the shed. Your TV at home, it's just another tool in the shed. Think like a builder or a chef and use it only when it's necessary. Keep sacred time sacred by putting the tools away at the end of the day. Don't let your tools interrupt precious sacred time that's meant for the family home. Put the tools away at the end of the day. Number three, in our home, and this leads into this, we commune with real people in real time. Real people in real relationships are really precious. Part of my reasoning for this is because I'm watching this huge tide um, within education to go towards technology so that children are relating far more through technology um, than they are in real face-to-face communication. And um, as much as um, we as educators or as much as we as um, a society can say use technology well and use technology safely, I believe there's a better and a stronger argument 
um, for how to um, keep kids from using it dangerously, and that is relate to real people in real time. I don't think there would be anywhere near the issues. There's always been issues with relationships, right? But I don't think there would be anywhere near the issues that people face online if what was really precious to them was looking in the eyes of another person and talking with them and playing with them and having coffee with them and having them to your house. That is a distinctly Christian aspect of uh, the church. We do it each week we gather together. We do it, uh, uh, you saw Jesus do it face to face. He gets in and dirty with people, gets into arguments and fights with people when it's necessary. Um, There's just a really strong argument for helping children particularly, but even us, we can't say that we're exempt from this, to relate person to person with one another. Uh, (coughs) Begin with the realest of all persons, God. You can't send him a photo. You can't Instagram your life to him. You can't dial him up. You can't send him a comment. You just get to be before God all the time. He just sees it all the time. Every part of you. He sees your desires. He sees your longings. He sees your failings. He sees every part of you. You don't need to hide from God. He sees it all. And he longs to relate with you. He longs to relate with you as closely as you relate with God the person right next to you. He loves you, so love him back in real time. Not in an email, not in a uh, FaceTime, but in real time. Talk to him. Share your life with him. Second, love your neighbor. Go to the next closest beings in reality to you. Practice loving your spouse. Practice loving your children. Or if you don't live with family and children, practice loving your housemate. (laughs) Find a way to commune every day in real time with a real person in your housemate. Find a way to be a gift to them. Let your life be a gift to to them. Sit together with these people every day and listen to their stories and put the tools away. I asked my uh, year five students the other day, I said, how many times, and I didn't say this in a way to judge because I was guilty of it myself, I said, how many times have you gone to talk to mum and dad and they didn't hear you because they were looking at their phone? And every kid put their hand up. That's devastating. Now, I don't mean that as a, a judgment, but more like another marker gauge, right? Something's gone awry that in the home... A tool has taken precedence over a person. So in our home, we commune with real people in real time. Number four, in our home, prayer is part of life. Pray without ceasing, Paul says. The two important parts of this is begin and don't cease. Begin and don't cease. Verbalize your affections for God, your cries to God, your praise for God. Do it as naturally as you talk to the people in your home. Let out the frustration of your day to God in front of your kids. Give thanks to God for as many things as you can with your kids. Confess your sins to God with your kids. Be wise in this, mums and dads. But it's good to see 
you in desperate need of Jesus just as much as you want them to be in need of Jesus. Right? If all your children see is um, mum or dad making the call for what's right um, and, and never confessing or repenting or helping that and, and seeing how that engages in the home, um, it, it could be a real difficulty for them to one day engage truly with Jesus as well. So let prayer be a natural part of your life. As you're driving to school, um, we sometimes get in the habit of just praying for the teachers. Hey, mate, do you want to pray for your teacher today? Can you pray for your classmates? Um, can you pray for Mr. Sondergeld who's preaching today? Why doesn't someone pray for Kids Church and the teachers who are teaching today? Ask God. Let's thank God for what he did. You know he heard our prayer yesterday? He said yes. Kids went to, uh, wanted to go to the show and, um, on Thursday and they, they, um, they prayed. Phoebe told me after that she prayed, Lord, I thank you for the rain, but please make it not rain so we can go to the show. <laughs> and Thursday came around and there was a yes to a prayer. I'm taking that. <laughs> coincidence or no coincidence? I'm just going to thank God because he answered a prayer and he said yes. And when he says no, acknowledge that. God, you said no. And I don't really get why, but that's okay because you're God. Pray with your kids. Let it be a conversation that's not just at the dinner table before you say grace, but let it be a conversation that's ongoing uh, in the day-to-day life. In our home, the best things in life grow slowly over time. Take opportunity to stick at precious and important things for a long time. Cross-country is currently a bit of a buzz in our house. Um, We have our cross-country carnival this Friday. Uh, It's painful at times, and the kids don't always enjoy it, but it's a buzz nonetheless. I personally love running around a course two or three or four times, um, one foot in front of the other. Not everyone likes that, but I enjoy it. It's just like, I know, I'm just going to keep going around this course, and I'm just going to keep going and keep going. That stitch really hurts right now, but I'm going to keep going because I want to beat my time. (laughs) Going a long distance and pushing it out to the end. This sort of activity breeds marvellous conversations about how good things take time and are sometimes painful. But when you persevere to the end, you get to enjoy the reward. Jesus left this earth a long time ago and he's still preparing a good place for us. Long, long time. 2,000 years in the making. That's, that's the best. And it just doesn't happen like that. Jesus is still preparing for us a really marvellous place. Marriage begins that I do and continues through highs and lows together with the aim of producing an earthly image of Christ in the church. Perhaps in your home, it's a puzzle. Maybe you like to sit with your children and and do a puzzle together, or there's just an ongoing puzzle that takes a good long time. And your kids start to see these puzzle pieces all put together. Can you imagine the conversations you could have? You know, life's like this puzzle, guys. Every puzzle piece looks weird on its own out here. But once it gets put together, look at this beautiful picture. Maybe it's not a puzzle. Maybe it's a a long book that you read together. Maybe it's a mechanical project that you do together, if you're a mechanic. Maybe it's a a slow-cooking meat that cooks over days and days and dries out. You get to enjoy the reward after the days of smelling it 
My oldest daughter enjoyed the fruit of this just a fortnight ago when she sat down with tears to prepare her first ever piano at Stedford. The left and the right hands just didn't want to do what she wanted them to do. They were meant to get together and play this beautiful tune, but they were both wanting to do their own thing. And it took pain, it took tears, it took frustration, but after repeated attempts, she came out one day and said, she just sat down today and it worked. She was just so surprised. And I wanted her not to give up. I kept encouraging her. I said, don't give up. You'll get it. It'll come. Don't give up. And I wanted her to see that if you keep at something, if you stick to that, that's going to bear really good fruit. And you get to enjoy the reward of this beautiful piece of music. And it sounds really nice. It's only a nine-year-old piece of Estedford music. But it is a beautiful piece of music when she plays it and the two hands join together in unison. <clears throat> Children will struggle to learn this without their parents. Stick with good and right endeavours that honour God and serve the good of others and help your children to do the same. This point is where I want to finish today. The best thing you'll ever enjoy in your life is complete surrender to Jesus Christ. Strong faith just doesn't appear in one day. It's grown and tested. 1 Peter 1 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The most precious thing that you could ever build and see build over your life is your faith. So don't let it go. Don't get it neglected. Within our homes, it's daily saying no to sin and yes to Jesus. It's inviting and giving in to godliness and letting all of God's power get at work in you. Letting his Holy Spirit just get down to the deepest, darkest crevices and letting him transform you and free you into the man or the woman that God made you to be. Victorious and joy-giving? Yeah. Painful? Yep. Slow going and difficult at times? Yeah. But we know something of God and his love through this. Since the dawn of time, he established a man and a woman who would be a family, Adam and Eve. Ever since the disease of sin entered the world, God has been proving his faithfulness and his patience with that family over and over and over again. In the full breadth of all that that family did, rejoicing, glorifying God, messing up, bowing to idols, God proved his faithfulness over and over again. And he's still proving his faithfulness today. I don't know where you are in your situation in your home. My hope today is that you've started to get a picture of something to pull towards that's better than just doing the same same old thing. My hope today is that as you, um, whether you're a young person um, looking to maybe one day have a home and a family, you start to get a vision of what it is that God wants for that home and family. And it's not what you made up. It's looking into God and finding out, God, what is it that you want for these homes and families in my life and in the lives of people around me? See, God hasn't given up on his church and he hasn't given up on you. He's not giving up on you. You might be in the deepest mess right now. You might feel trapped in your circumstances. You might feel like uh, there's very little hope. But I want to tell you today 
that if God started something in you, if you have faith just even the size of a mustard seed, he will be faithful to complete it. If you have any inkling today that your home and family is worth pulling in an eternal direction, then take the strain. Let your life again depend on the God who is faithful. Like I said, he promises to complete what he began in you. If you're here today and have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, then he's calling you today. He's calling you to eternal life. Come to him and say no to living apart from him and yes to giving your whole life to him. Eternity is a long time and he wants you there with him. So as we finish, uh, I want to invite you to do two things. One is break the silence. Take an opportunity today in a quiet moment to break the silence with God. Whether it be a complaint, a difficulty, whether it's an unconfessed sin, break the silence with God. He wants to hear it. He wants to know even the deepest, darkest parts of you. Secondly, break the silence with someone else. This week, is there one person who you could go to and share about what's going on in your home? I'd love for there to be conversations that start brewing in the Project Church of going, we want something better than just a hidden home where nobody knows what's going on. We want husbands and wives and mums and dads to be confident that this reality that they're living in doesn't have to be where they stay. My own little testimony that I've, I've always struggled to lead family devotions. I, I've tried a whole bunch of different things and I'm sure some of it has stuck somewhere. But I was speaking to uh, one gentleman from our church at a breakfast we were having one time and uh, he said, oh, we, we just read the Bible every morning. No matter what happens in the morning, we just read our Bible. Um, if it means we're late to school because everything else is shuffled along, then that's what it means because every day we're going to read the Bible. So really, what does that look like? I, I just don't get how that fits in in the morning. And he shared it with me. Um, and, and since I've been doing that, uh, just reading my devotion, whatever's going on in God's Word there, I'll just take one little snippet and read it together as a family, ask some simple questions with the kids, and we get to have these great conversations. They don't always go great. <laughs> That's reality. The kids aren't always that responsive. That's reality. But nonetheless, I want them to have the echoes of eternity. And maybe one day, turn their hearts to love Jesus. So break the silence. Finally, choose one practical way to consider a plan. Don't get overwhelmed by what's on the board here. Just choose one thing that maybe you um, could work out in your family of how it is that you could be a distinctly Christian family.